Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. 3-1 pitch, swing and a drive. Deep to right field, way up there, way out of here. Goodbye baseball. Eight strikeouts for the King tonight and make it 23 consecutive scoreless innings for Phoenix. Strike three called on the outside corner and there it is. It's time for the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Kyle Seager, that just happened. Thank you very much. Now, Here's your host, Gary Hill. And welcome back to the Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. Gary Hill back with you. Thanks for being here. Well, I think this is going to be an excellent podcast. I am glad that you have joined us for this one. This is going to be fun. Well, we'll talk about the game briefly last night as the Mariners fell to the Royals. Kansas City, they take the series, they win the division. So we'll talk about that in a moment, for a moment. Coming up. Oh, this is going to be so much fun. Sam Mellinger from the Kansas City Star is going to join us, and he's going to tell a fantastic story about Satchel Paige. I love this. I, I think as baseball fans, I think we all have a list of guys. It could be a long list, could be a short list, but guys that we just wish we could have seen play. And there's a few of them for me that really leap to mind. Bob Gibson is one. Man, I would have loved to watch him stare down a hitter, then throw high and tight with that snarl and just watch him dominate. Babe Ruth, man, how much fun would that be to actually see him in person play the game? Willie Mays going back to catch a ball over his shoulder. Uh, and one that may be at the top of the list for me is Satchel Page. I love reading about Satchel Page. I love hearing stories about Satchel Page, and not only the way he pitched, the way he dominated, the showman on the mound at the same time, the whole thing. I just would have loved to see him pitch. So anytime I hear a Satchel Page story, it's exciting to me. And this one is a great one. So we're gonna have we're actually gonna have a couple Satchel Page stories. We'll have that from Sam Ellinger of the Kansas City Star. Also, Renee Latchman, former Mariner skipper, he's got a Satchel Page story as well. So both those are coming up. I hope you enjoy them. I think they're fantastic. I hope you do too. Colin O'Keefe is going to be by. We haven't talked to Colin in a while. That's going to be fun. He's going to talk about his, well, mostly about what he has seen in September from the Mariners and then moving forward with it. And then a very special interview at the end. I'm excited to bring you this because it's a voice that you don't get to hear. Chad Brown, 
You may know that name because if you listen to the radio broadcast, you hear him thanked about every day on the radio broadcast. He works behind the scenes on the broadcast. He's the one. Uh, he does a lot of the legwork, uh, gets the interviews in the clubhouse, you know, that sort of thing. He's one of the guys behind the scenes that makes the whole thing go. I mean, there's a whole list of guys that you never hear on the air but really help make everything happen. Matt Harden, Matt Nelson, Chad Brown, just a few of those guys that really make things happen. And I'm going to bring to you a Chad Brown interview. He sat down with Cattell Marte, and I think it's fantastic, and I'm glad. I'm excited to bring you this. I'm excited that Chad Brown is at least getting some podcast time. So I hope you enjoy that. That comes up at the very end of the podcast. But the Mariners looking for the series against the Kansas City Royals in the game last night. It looked like they were going to get it the night before with Tom Wilhelmson on the hill, but Kansas City – so tough at the end of ball games. They pull out the middle game of the series. And yesterday, things looked good after Mark Trumbo came through with a big knock to give the M's the lead against KC. The pitch to Mark. Swing and a ground ball. Third baseline. Fair pass to diving Moustakis. And down the left field line into the corner. Here comes Cano. Here comes Smith. Ronnie third. He will score. And at second, Mark Trumbo with a two-run double. And the Mariners regain the lead. Three to two here in the top half of the fourth. So Mark Trumbo comes through with a big base hit, but Kansas City, it was a tough start for Paxton. He left with uh, finger issues again, and so the bullpen comes on, but the bullpen couldn't keep Kansas City down, and the Royals, well, they take the game, they take the series, and they take their division. The 0-2 to Seager, swing and a ground ball to the first baseman, Hosmer. He's got it underhand, toss to Davis at the bag, and the Royals have won the American League Central Division. They win it tonight over the Mariners, a final score of 10-4. to There was. The Central goes to the Royals, now 89-63 and on the season. First time in their club history they've won the Central Division, first division crown in 30 years. It is a great baseball story. Tough night for the Mariners, but... Boy, those people in Kansas City, they have to be loving it tonight, winning the division 11 games up on the Minnesota Twins after their win and the Twins' loss. So congratulations to them. That's fantastic. The Mariners now will try and turn the page after falling. They're going to take on the Angels for three huge games in terms of how this thing is going to shake out with the postseason. The Astros... They've lost two games in a row now. The Angels have won two games in a row. And just like that, the Angels and Twins a game and a half back of the Houston Astros heading into this weekend. So this is going to be a monster weekend for the Angels. They have a chance to, well, potentially have a chance to crawl into the second wild card spot with a good weekend. The Mariners are going to try and make that, well, they're going to try and spoil the party and make sure that doesn't happen over the weekend. Tonight, first pitch, 7-10 from Anaheim. Hopefully you'll join us. Garrett Richards is going to take the mound for the Angels. Oh, so tough. 14-11, and 11, a 3-7-3 ERA. Fidel Nuno is going to take the ball for the M's. 1-4, a 3-3-0 ERA. So hopefully you join us on the pregame show tonight. 6 o'clock for the pregame show. Mariners and Angels tonight. 7-5, first pitch. I think I... I think I missed it by five minutes there. 7.05 first pitch, so you don't want to miss first pitch from Anaheim. Okay, right now, 
This is going to be a fun story. Here's the conversation I told you about, about Satchel Paige. This is fantastic. Hope you enjoy. It sounds made up, uh, but I promise you this is true. They, uh, a 59-year-old man uh, pitched a Major League Baseball game 50 years ago tomorrow, actually, September 25th, 1965, at, at Old Municipal Stadium um, here in Kansas City. It's no longer there, but 22nd in Brooklyn, just off of downtown. Um, and it was it was Satchel Page, kind of the, the ageless wonder uh, that came back to pitch one game. At first, it was just going to be a Satchel Page appreciation night, and then they thought, on Satchel Page night, we got to have Satchel Page <laughs> pitch. And and everybody thought that he would just get bombed. They played the Red Sox that night. The Red Sox were a bad team, but really good hitting team. Tony Canigliaro led the league in home runs that year. Carl Yastrzemski was on that team, 26 years old in his prime. And Satchel Page gave up one hit in three innings. It was to Carl Yastrzemski a double. Off the left field wall, otherwise nobody get, nobody got on base. That was the brainchild of then Kansas City A's owner Charlie Finley. Yeah. The day before, they drew about 900 fans. They drew about 9,000 when Satch pitched that night. What did you find out, you know, investigating the story about this legendary, mythical man by the name of Satchel Paige? There, there's so many stories, and, and he's one of the, you know, baseball is a, a game that loves numbers and, you know, statistics and that kind of thing. And Satchel's got some of those, but his greatness is really explained through uh through these stories and yeah. you know and and again a lot of it sounds way exaggerated and some of it may be exaggerated but i think a lot of it is absolutely true it just sounds exaggerated you yeah. know what i mean like you know there's a story that he claims that he won 104 out of 105 starts in 1934 <laughs> he was pitching a lot of semi-pro games and uh, you know he pitched one game in the dominican republic for the the dictator i forgot the guy's name but Trujillo. the dictator of the of the dominican yeah. republic had a team and and uh satch pitched uh, i think every game of that series the and outcome for the election right yes it, the, the outcome of the election rode on that series for some reason <laughs> I, guess, I guess it's the dominican right and uh, satch had, had arranged to get a safe escort out of the country after they won the series left unsaid was what would happen if they lost exactly <laughs> wow that you had it clearly had a ball putting this thing. It was together, so much right? fun. Yeah. yeah. Where, where where did you start? I mean, who who hipped you to the fact that this anniversary was coming up? I was just wondering how that part of the story, how that began. Yeah, it was Bob Kendrick who does an amazing job running the Negro Leagues Museum here yeah. in Kansas City, and um, I can't even remember what we were talking about, me and Bob, one day, and uh, I think it was the future of the museum. He just mentioned they, you know, that this was coming up, an anniversary that they wanted to to recognize, and I was like, oh my god! Like, I mean, maybe I'd heard that there was a 59-year-old man pitching, uh, you know, Major League Baseball, but I'd forgotten about it, and I was lucky that the anniversary came up. Right. It was an, a good excuse to do it. Um, so, yeah, a lot of credit to Bob Kendrick. He gave me a lot of the information, too, about Satchel. Um, and really, he does such a good job with that museum. Well, we, we totally agree yeah. with that. So, all of a sudden, your phone rings, and Carl Yastrzemski is on the other yeah. hand. He is yeah. famous for not talking. Uh, yeah. Uh, how did you handle that? What did you get from him? And, and what was it like to have that conversation? Yeah, you know, it was funny. I was, um, I was taking my kid to the park, actually. And um, I noticed when I got in the car that I had a missed number from a Massachusetts phone number and I was calling somebody else from Massachusetts I thought that was who it was and it turned out to be Carl Yastrzemski called me back a half hour later and I was at the park and and he was great um yeah I was told that he doesn't talk to anybody especially reporters that that he doesn't know but it must have been something about Satchel Paige I mean he really like is a, a character a guy that that people love to talk about and trade stories about and you know the amazing thing was that um Satchel Paige a generation before, really, had, yeah. had pitched against um, Yaz's dad in a semi-pro game and, and was close to 40 years old at that time, too. But, um, you know, at least in Yaz's memory, um, Satch was pitching in the 90s, even then. 
Um, you know, in 1965, at 59 years old, it was more in the 80s, but uh, he was still incredible. getting everybody out. That's yeah, isn't that wild? Oh, and, and the, uh, the other thing that, that Yaz said w that was amazing was he was on, uh, Satch was on like kind of one of these barnstorming teams, right? And um, the only reason that those teams would get money to go play is Satch had to pitch, and he had to pitch at least five innings, and they would play three, four times a week, yeah. and Satch is pitching at every one of those games. Just absolutely incredible. We had a chance to talk with Renee Latchman, who was a young yeah. catcher himself with the Kansas City A's, and he talked about being in the bullpen and warming up Satchel. And uh, he had this rocking chair and a nurse <laughs> down there in the bullpen yeah. to put ointment on his arm. Tell us about the yeah. nurse, the ointment, and the rocking chair. I, I saw a picture of, of the nurse, too, and, and they, they did a good job picking the, the nurse for Satch. <laughs> uh, they, they also had a water boy, too. He had his own personal oh uh, water boy. Water. They, they made a big right. thing out of it. And, yeah, the, the, the rocking chair was set, um, you know, just outside the dugout. The, the dugout in uh, Municipal Stadium was dug into the ground, like even more so than, than you see typical dugouts today. And Satch played along with the whole thing with the rocking chair, and he said, I'm okay sitting here uh, because at my age I'm close enough to being underneath <laughs> the ground anyway. <laughs> oh, man, that is, that's beautiful. Hey, Sam, we had a couple of weeks ago on our roundtable segment, we were asked to give our dream pitching mm -hmm. matchups, anybody from any decade, any oh era. Gosh. And I think three of us, Satchel Page was in that matchup. What would yours be? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, Satchel Page. Um, and, and the other one, man, I don't know. I uh, The first two that come to my mind, I, I, this might be kind of random. I might have a different answer if you ask me uh, a little bit later. Bob Feller. Um, his numbers and, and losing those years in the war, I mean, just unbelievable to me. Um, or if I could get the, the young Dwight Gooden. That'd I be like a good one. Too. Those I are like good matchups. Yeah. The other thing, there were so many interesting things about both stories, but reliving the life of Satchel Page was the fact that you found out that Rick Sutcliffe, who was just a kid, <laughs> and Frank White, who was 15, we're at that game. Yeah, um, and the joke is, right, that you could find, you know, there were 9,000-something people there, and you could probably find 150,000 people that say they were there. But um, both those guys I know a little bit, and they swear up and down they were there. Frank, I called because I knew that Frank lived, like, across the street or something from, and, and he would have been 15 years old. And so I called him thinking there might be a chance there. Rick Sutcliffe I actually called because Sut is 59 years old now. And the reason I called him was, can you imagine if you were pitching a big league baseball game right now at your age? He said, I was at that, that game, game with my grandfather. <laughs> you know, we went to like one game a year and it was never opening day or anything. But my grandfather made wow. sure that we were at that game. And, and he actually, this is one of the coolest things that, that came up, I thought, was that the idea of a young Rick Sutcliffe at that time, nine years old, he still remembers it and says that watching that game had a lot to do with him becoming a baseball player. Uh -huh. That just, you know, the experience and everybody, you know, the excitement of watching that guy and everybody's cheering for him. And that was, a, in, in his words, a big part of what made him, you know, motivated to go into baseball. Sam, great story. Two great stories. And the Kansas City Star, thanks a lot for reliving the life of Satchel Page and tying in Carl Yastrzemski. Appreciate the visit. Yeah, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Sam, good to meet All you, right. man. Good Thank stuff. You. It's incredible to look at. September 25th, 1965. The Kansas City A's were hosting the Boston Red Sox. Yastrzemski was batting third in the order that day. He had a couple hits, but Satchel Page got the start in that one. Went three innings, gave up just one hit, no runs, no walks, and one strikeout. It's just incredible at oh, any age, really, but at that age in particular. And he leaves Diego Segui, who had take his stage in Mariners history a few years later, relieved him, and he pitched four innings after that.
Kansas City lost that day to the Red Sox, but uh, so fun to look at, the great Satchel Paige. With another Satchel Paige story, speaking of Diego Segui and Mariners history, here's Rick Riz with Renee Latchman. It's always great to catch up with an old friend, Renee Latchman, defensive catching coordinator, a coach for the Colorado Rockies. He's been in uniform for a long time. and I'll tell you what, let's go back a few years because you've spent so many years and in the major leagues and all different kinds of uh, capacities. But when I first got here in 1983, you were the manager of the ball club. You were here in 81, 82, and 83, as you mentioned. What was it like managing this ball club at that time and also working with the, the late, great Dave Niehaus? Well, we had a wonderful time, and, and that's uh, the, the game has changed in a lot of ways at that time because my staff and, and, the, and, the, and the guys like the radio people and some of the media people, Tracy Ringlesby, uh, you know, we would get together after the game. We yeah. talked about the game, baseball. You know, we were on a road trip. We'd go out. I remember many, many times with uh, my oh my going out to dinner. And, you know, he never, he never went to any McDonald's or anything else. It had to be a five-star restaurant where he'd end up going. So, But that was, you know, that was uh, one of the things I really remembered back there. And then, of course, uh, the fabulous uh, Jello Gate that they went me set me through for the last year. With Some funny guys on that team: oh, Joe Simpson, uh, Joe Simpson, Richie. It was uh, Larry Anderson, who stills uh, is working over there with Philadelphia. And I see Joe is you know, and there's a lot of those guys that Joe is working with Philadelphia and uh, and uh, or Atlanta, and, and Larry's working with Philadelphia. So it's uh, it was it was a fun time. Plus the fact that. You know, we brought some baseball back. The people here got interested in the game. And then, and then uh, after that, after I did leave, you know, they had a, a, an influx of good young players coming in, the Harold Reynolds and, you know, people and stuff like that. And, but to see that what Lou Pinella and, and the organization did to bring baseball back here was, was amazing to see this place packed. And it's a, just a great facility to come back. I know Walt Weiss, it's the first time he's been in this stadium here, and he was amazed at it. And he says, uh, I said, you'll love it here because it's, uh, and especially on a day like today. Day. Holy cow, that sunshine there. You see the big mountain, and, yeah. and uh, it's, it's, it's a special place and always will be for me. Let's go back even more years. As a young catcher, did you ever catch Satchel Page? Yeah, I used to warm him up all the time, and I used to, it was a pleasure. You know, people say, you know, we're teammates Satchel Page. I used to tease him all the time because I grew up in an inner city in L.A., and I have a lot of African-American friends, that, you know, that I grew up with, and I was wanting to know about the Negro League and stuff, and he'd always tell me stories about the Negro League, about how Josh Gibson, and he taught me about his, his satchel. I've asked him about the satchel, and he would never open it up, but I just heard uh, more like yeah, some glass <laughs> clinking in there. I don't know what it was, it was bottles or whatever, but he did mention the fact that, you know, we had a guy named Campy Campaneras that was oh, yeah. an outstanding base stealer, and and I said, I bet you didn't you didn't have anybody as fast as Campy over there in that uh, Negro League that you played in. And he says, oh, Latch, he says, you know, he said, we had a guy named Cool Papa Bell. He said, play with him. And, you know, he'd, he was my roommate, and he'd uh, come in there. He'd turn the lights out, and he'd be in bed before it got dark. I said, oh, Satch, I've heard that story many, many times. Buck O'Neill told us a story about, uh, you know, getting into the room, getting into bed before the room yeah. got dark. But there was a, the, the light switch. There was a short in it. So when you turned it off, it took a few seconds before the light went off. So he, he won a bet with Cool yeah. Cool Papa with Satchel Page. But those are great stories, buddy. <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, it's, you know, it's... Uh... And I've 52 years. I've had a lot of wonderful things happen. I will never, ever, you know, this game has been great to me. And uh, the thing of it is, and I've mentioned this many, many times, I've been fortunate to live my dream. I've been in four World Series, 1-1. I've been in major leagues for 30-some-plus years. I've been able to live a dream when I was start off, again, maybe not as a player, but I've been able to live a big part of my dream. And people can't, do not, uh, cannot say that they've done that in, in business and stuff like that. Well, what a life in baseball. And I tell you what, when a young broadcaster 
got here in 1983. You were the right guy for me as a as my first year in the big leagues, and I appreciate it. You know, being the manager at that time for the Mariners, and uh, thank you so much. What a life in baseball, and and I tell you what, I hope it keeps going, buddy. Well, I hope so. I hope to see you in, in, in uh, Arizona next spring and say hi to Kevin and all the guys up in the booth up there, all right? And now from Mariners past to Mariners present, chance to sit down with Colin O'Keefe. It's been a while. Lookoutlanding.com. You can find his writing there. I recommend it highly. On Twitter as well, fantastic follow. At Colin O'Keefe. You can follow him there on Twitter. Someone that's been with us many times this year. Always appreciate his insight. And uh, we end up talking a lot about September and what it means moving forward for the M's. Well, we get a chance to visit with Colin O'Keefe. It has been a while. Colin, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Happy to do it. Excited to uh, be on here and talk with you again as uh, the season winds down. I got a great question the other day. I wish I had it in front of me, so I'll paraphrase it a little bit. But it was he was talking about September baseball and asking me, you know, pushing aside wins and losses for a moment and kind of what what I'm looking for in the month of September. And I thought I'd ask you, when you watch this Mariners team play like, or right now, you know, putting wins and losses aside, what are you looking for this month? Well, one of the big things that I'm looking for would be to see the core perform to the level that we hope it would. I mean, there's a lot of pieces that, as we head from this year into next year, that aren't going anywhere. Guys like Robinson Cano, Nelson Cruz, Kyle Seeger. And then, of course, now you, you, you tack on Cattell Marte, and you have you know the top of a lineup that this is going to be the top of your lineup on opening day 2015, barring anything you know really significant or crazy coming down the field. So, you know what you're looking to see is can this be the offensive force that we kind of envision that it would be in 2015? I mean, you're kind of looking for the that we've been looking all year, which is can the best players perform to the level that we all expect them to perform to? And then when they do, what does the sum of those parts look like? And you know, for this month, it's been exceptional. And not even just this month, but really the whole second half, the Mariners' offense has been great. And, and I think that's one of the things that's, that's, that's encouraging. I think where you're going to see most of any kind of change from 2015 to 2016, I think you're going to see whoever the next general manager is come in and really work to clean up two things. One, the the pitching, and then two, kind of the bottom half of the roster. So if you look at the foundation of what's going to be there, it's that top half of the roster, or the top half, particularly the position players. And when you look at that group, it's been exceptional um, here in September. I mean, I know the Mariners were on quite the run a bit in September, one of the better records in baseball in September. And then even just in the second half, if you look at – this is a stat I use a lot is, is WRC+. Plus, but they have a WRC+, plus of a, which is park-adjusted, 100 as average. They have one of 120. The only team in all of baseball that's better in the second half offensively are the Toronto Blue Jays. And if you know to make another comparison, the Mariners have been effectively – as good or better as Kyle Seeger. The whole team has been effectively Kyle Seeger for the whole second half of the season. So wow. they've been good. This is this offense has been good, and as you head into 2015, it's, it's consistency and that performance from that core group of guys. And then, of course, you know, anytime you can get a new player to provide a spark in, in a guy like Cattell Marte, he's one of the most exciting players here to watch in September for me. There's no question about that. I, I, I try and temper my enthusiasm because, you know, you know how it goes with young players. Even if they burst onto the scene, sometimes the league can catch up, you know, things like that. But 
I just love everything we're seeing from him in terms of approach at the plate. I think his defense has been pretty solid throughout. What have you seen from Marte? It's been so impressive, both in the broader sense and then the narrow sense. But, you know, in the broader sense, you mentioned, uh, you know, trying to temper expectations because a lot of times players do come up. The league doesn't have the book on them. They don't know which parts of the strike zone to attack. You know, they don't know where to go after certain types of guys. So they'll put up some gaudy numbers when they first come up. We've seen it happen with a number of, of, of Mariners middle infield prospects. And then eventually the league adjusts and they start to slump. And it's kind of, you know, a gradual slip until the end of the season. Well, you know, I think a week or two ago, we were starting to see that a little bit from Marte, where the league had started to adjust to him. He was scuffling a little bit. I think he had an extended offer, uh, you know, a series of games where he didn't have a hit. And then recently, it's like he's adjusted right back. It, it isn't as if he's gone, all right, they got me. I'll, I'll figure it out in the offseason. I'll come back in 2016. He's 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 refocused. He's adjusted, and he's he's altering his approach in, in different types of ways. It's just so interesting to me to watch him play. I mean, for one hand, there were questions about defense when he was coming up, and then now once you see him at the major league level, the defense looks just fine to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, the types of plays that he's able to make are are plays. I don't think you would necessarily see from the other players who could compete in that position. And then offensively, it's just such an interesting mix because sometimes he'll be the player who attach, who really attacks the first pitch. Sometimes he'll be the player who waits. I, I think the other night, um, it, it's interesting with him, the other night the Mariners were losing, I think it was in, I can't remember what inning it was in, but they were losing by, they were losing by one, uh, runners on second and third, two outs. And I, you know, I'm watching this and I'm going, I, I, I think I have faith in Marte right here. I think I actually have faith in him. And then the first pitch floated kind of inside. It wasn't a great pitch. And, you know, at the second it hit the glove, I was thinking, ah, I should have taken a rip, Marte. That was, that step out like the one, just a touching off the plate. He knew it better than me on TV and it was called ball one, worked ball two. Uh, so he worked himself into, I think, a 2-0 count. I can't remember exact. Yeah, it was a 2-0 count. The third pitch wasn't so great. I think he was kind of guessing, I'm going to get my fastball here. It was down outside the zone. It didn't matter. It was down at his shins. He dropped the bat down, and he ripped it 99 miles an hour into the gap for that trip, that two-run triple. And it's it's those things. The thing that I come back to with Cattell Marte is people always worry about all different types of things with, with baseball players, with their mental mindset. And what I come back to very frequently with Cattell Marte is maybe being a really great athlete really matters in baseball. I mean, Marte, you know, when you compare him to, to some other prospects that we've seen on the position player side, you know, I can't remember any who are just such a great and, and well-rounded athlete with the, the quick hands, with the speed, with the quick reflexes. So I, with him, I just couldn't be more impressed, particularly on the things that he does on an everyday basis. And then again, just this ability to where he stumbles a little bit and then he adjusts and he comes back. And I think, you know, also with him, you know, uh, you know, him being, a, you know, a Latin player, I think the leadership that, that Robinson Cano and Nelson Cruz have provided and, and then the life that he's given right back. I think it's just such a fascinating and great dynamic to watch here in September. I'm glad you mentioned athleticism as well because he's really injected some athleticism into the Mariners lineup. And I think Brad Miller, to an extent, now that he's essentially playing every day in the outfield, has done the same sort of thing. And I think it's really changed the dynamic of this offense to have a little more athleticism in it. And I don't think it would be a bad idea to 
try and find a little bit more. The uh, maybe they're only really getting spots open next year. There's not going to be a lot, but uh, maybe a chance to add a little bit more as well. I think could help the offense. Oh, absolutely. I think just the ability to. And that's one of the things with Marte is he's great focus on putting the ball in play. It doesn't strike out a lot. So he, he has the athleticism and he's able to make contact. He's willing to let that athleticism take over. And then, of course, you know, with a guy like Brad Miller, you're heading into next year. He hits righties extremely well. He plays center field, left field, right field, shortstop, third base, second base. That's an extremely valuable player to have because, again, that athleticism affords the ability to play all these different types of positions. It's just... I don't know. I just, yeah, I mean, I think the Mariners, I think that's probably as you head into the offseason, regardless of the general manager that they end up with, I think you're going to see that individual really looking to add some level of athleticism to the ball club, really looking for, for balanced players. I think, you know, for example, with Marte, Marte doesn't do and it's very, actually very similar to a guy like Kyle Seeger. Kyle Seeger, Cattell Marte, I don't mean to say that the, those guys are equal or anywhere close, but the interesting thing with both of them is they don't necessarily have one skill that is purely elite. They're just very good at everything. Mm-hmm. Seeger doesn't strike out a whole bunch. He'll take a walk when he needs to. He can hit for some power. Obviously hits for a lot more power than, than Cattell Marte, but Marte is also very similar where – He's got a, a really strong glove. He he can put the ball in play. He can he's got a little bit of gap power. He can run the bases. He's not some guy that is all one thing, but he can do so many different types of things. And that's also you know the same for Miller. So I think that's going to be one of the things that I think the organization focuses on heading into 2016 is finding those guys who can do all sorts of types of things well. Um, and the more that they can add that athleticism to this ball club, particularly when you pair it with the uh, you know, the boppers, guys like Cano, guys like Cruz, you really start to have a balanced ball club that can do a lot of different types of things. And, you know, I think if you add a couple more of those guys, you know, I, I don't think they need a ton. But, you know, that's what I mentioned with, you know, kind of the, the depth pieces on the roster. If they can add some more athleticism to those spots, I think they're I think they could be all right in 2016. I'm glad you mentioned Kyle Seeger. I'm totally fascinated by the year he's having because you know he's sitting on career highs and doubles and home runs this year he has absolutely hammered lefties this year his numbers are incredible against left-handed pitching his numbers against righties not as high as they've been in the past not as good as they've been in the past but I expect those to come up next year and I'm wondering are we just going to see the same sort of really good season from Kyle Seager next year or with numbers against righties coming up probably numbers against lefties uh, normalizing a little bit but you look at the rudders in scoring position i think that's to me watching kyle Seeger last few years it just feels flukish to me i'm wondering if he's sitting on a pretty big season next year what do you think you think he'll be more of the same of this year is is he sitting on a big big year I I don't know I this I mean you know me I mean I tend more towards the types of view that you have so it's so weird that you mentioned that because I was talking with the the lookout landing group about this not that long not even I think it was even yesterday which was you know looking at Fangraphs war is that even in a season where Kyle doesn't blow everyone away he still ends up with four wins and I was mm-hmm. thinking really seems like Kyle has about a six and a half win season in him. I mean, you know, that's exactly what I was thinking. What, what you were thinking there is he's been great against lefties in the past. He was, he was a little bit better. He was better against righties. So let's take, 
improvement against lefties. Let's bring back that skill against righties. And then there's other types of things that he's improving on this year as well. His strikeouts are down a little bit. You know, his strikeout. Yeah, no, his strikeouts are down a bit. His walk rate hasn't been affected in any capacity. He's hitting more extra base hits than he has in the past. It's something where, no, I, I definitely could see that as well. I mean, and especially I think you're going to see him not, and he's, of course, the type of player who's not purely offensive, but I bet you we, we see him come back next year with, a, you know, an even more intense focus on defense where, you know, he got the gold glove in 2014. You know, this year it'll probably be Donaldson. I think you'll see some, some renewed vigor from him on that front. Mm-hmm. I honestly... Again, you you know me. Uh, people who have who have, you know, read the things I write or or, or heard me before know me, and I that's why I'm I, I just I, I agree with you completely. Which is, man, I, you know he's he's coming into his prime. He's he continues to refine himself as a ball player. I just really feel like over the next few years. Kyle has a couple monster seasons in him. You know, you know a three hundred thirty home run type campaign where he really really puts all the pieces together and 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 again and, and continues to establish himself as one of the best you know third baseman third baseman in this game yeah i think we're thinking along the same lines i'm anxious to see him next year i think he's gonna have have a big year so with two weeks about two weeks left in this season anything you're looking for before the end of the season anything in particular that you want to see before this season comes to an end well let's see i mean i don't know if is Felix going to get two more starts to have a crack at 20? I don't know if that's something that would be very cool on a very shallow level if he got a chance at that. I don't know for certain that he's going to. I'd like to see Marte finish strong. That's one of the absolute biggest things for me because I think he's going to be such an important piece here heading into 2016. Um, Robinson Cano continuing to hit the ball well. Those are the biggest things. I mean, it wouldn't hurt. I mean, Paxton last night had the issue again with the fingernail. If he has the the opportunity to get back on the mound again, it would be really nice to have one more really quality start from James Paxton. And then honestly, you know, we're not too focused on on wins and losses here in the last two weeks. But you know what? If if they, I would like to see them. I don't think they're gonna the threaten too much. But if they go on a tear and they really, you know, uh, you know, knock a cup, play spoiler, mm. have some fun. You know, treat these games seriously. The other night, you know, after they won the first game against the Royals and they took the lead into the ninth, it it took me back to 2014 when there was just the terror of every day. I think when Dyson stole third and they threw the ball down the line, I was worried that they were going to throw it over their head and it was just that stress of meaningful baseball. Even if they're not going to sneak in, to play the role of spoiler, to show that competitiveness, I, I just would like, even though the wins and losses don't matter, you'd like to see them finish on a high note, you know, to, to, to just show that resiliency. And they have over the whole second half. I mean, we've seen clubs over the years that when, when things start to slip and you can tell that it might not be their year, that, that, that they act like it and they play with that out the string and they, they, the record indicates it when they go down the stretch. You know, Lloyd McClendon, to his credit, he hasn't let that happen, and he had every reason to with the injuries to the pitching staff, you know, with the guys that were traded away. You know, there was every reason for this ball club to kind of shut it down, end up somewhere between 10 and 15 games under 500, and they're not going to be there. So if that resi- if we could see the types of things that we want to see with the core players who are going to be a big part of this in 2016, but again, just that continued resiliency, just play this the way all the way out to the end. Um, even this type of baseball is better than no baseball Mm. and I think that's true for us it's true for the players so 
hopefully they can continue to, continue to show that that resiliency that they've showed these last couple of weeks. Well, Colin, I can't thank you enough for all your visits this year. I appreciated them all. And I guess the next time we talk will be sometime during the off season. Thank it will be. I, I look forward to it. It's going to be an interesting off season to see how things progress. And then of course, uh, I look forward to hearing you. I know you're headed off to, to, to Anaheim. I look forward to, to hearing you on the call this weekend in these games against the angels. Yeah, it should be a fun weekend. Thanks. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Take care. And finally, excited to bring you this. Chad Brown makes his podcast debut. A nice interview with Cattell Marte. And I really liked the portion towards the end. He talks about Robinson Cano and his influence. Fantastic question. Really great answer from Marte. Hope you enjoy this. Here's Chad Brown. This is Chad Brown on the Mariners pregame show. I'm here with Mariners shortstop Cattell Marte. Cattell, today I want to talk about a couple different things, but first I kind of want to just talk about your transition to the majors and how how has that gone for you? Like, how do you feel like you've fully adjusted to the majors at this point? Uh, yeah, thank you for giving me the, the, the interview. And uh, I mean, I mean, I'm I'm just coming to the field, be prepared and. And then keep working, keep working hard, try try to be consistent. And then nothing. I wanna I wanna give a tense gap will give me the opportunity to play here. And then thanks to the Mariners too. What do you feel like has been the biggest adjustment adjustment that you've made coming from the minors to the major? What's the the number one thing that you've kind of had to either change or adjust to that's different from the majors that is in the minors? Uh, when I was in uh, when I was in triple A, I mean, when I was in triple A. I just have a little, uh, have a little uh, struggling with my defense, and then now I think I've been pretty good, and I feel like I got 10 years here, and uh, nothing, man. Keep working hard and trying to be good every day. The Mariners wasted no time putting you in the leadoff spot. Do you feel like it's a natural position for you to to be in the leadoff spot, and do you feel any added pressure being there at all? Yeah, every year I'm, I'm about in second. Every year, but it's like some time, uh, some time lit off. But it's mostly like, like more, more body second than than, than lit off. But I can, I can, I can be a lit off. I mean, you know, um, I'm, I have a good left, fast runner, like I said, fast runner, and then makes counter, and then I can, I can be a lit off. I mean, I mean, I feel good now and try to be good every day. It's been well known that you have a great relationship with Robinson Cano. How has that helped you just transition to the majors, just having him here to kind of help you along and just to have someone that you can go and talk to if you need to? Yeah, that's how I say. He say when, when, when you need me, when you need help, I mean, I can, I can help you because we, we're from the Dominican, you're younger than me, and, um, I, and I, like, I like you a lot. And then I want you, I want, I want you to be here for a long time and... You are a good player. He helped me a lot. He helped me a lot every day. He talked to me every day. He tried to help me. He tried to make me good. And then I think he's he's a good person. And that's why we want to. Canelo signed here for another eight years or so. Do you feel like with you at shortstop and him at second base, you guys can make that kind of dynamic duo for years to come in the Mariners' middle of the infield? I feel pretty good with, with him in second. I mean... Because you know we, he got like 11 years in the league, and <clears throat> when you young, when you young player, you just have to you 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 need uh, that kind of play like I know and 
right behind you, you know, <clears throat> because if you if you want to the, the be better, I mean, you just you just have to talk with somebody who uh, like I know Nelly, and then I mean I feel good we we can all check and and then I want to be here for a long time. If I mean just try to be good and keep working hard. That's Mariner shortstop Ketel Marte. Thank you, Ketel. Thank you. See you later! It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.